it. Here I'm gonna wreck it. All right. Um, da, 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 da. Okay. Steven, I have a question for you first. Hit me, brother. You were you were about to ask me a question, but I jumped the gun. I know. That's the way it works. So, what... Do I, I feel like we're becoming very brotherly. Yeah, we... even Because we've up. been friends for a long time, but I feel like now the relationship is more brotherly. Like, you kind of give me crap, and I give you crap back. We learn patterns, like, you know... O- only when we're confident other people are listening to our crap, though. <laughs> you think this is that different from when we're sitting playing backgammon? I think you're more talkative when we're playing backgammon. You know Sometimes why? Because I, I I like to think out loud why why you made a move or why I made a move. Well, I feel like you introduce more non-backgammon conversations to backgammon than I do. But oh, I'm oh. selfish that way. Like once I like I'm the same with golf. If I'm playing golf, like I'm the world's worst social golfer. Like you know, a lot of people play golf because they like to talk about blah blah business, family, friends. I'm like, uh uh-uh. uh, it's about the golf. And I go crazy. So I just, like, I just, like, don't talk. I have become a very rudish person. Well, I like to distract you while we're playing so that it gives me any little Maybe edge. Maybe that's what it is because you've you been know, winning lately. When you're a game player, every little, you know, it's not cheating to talk. Every little edge you can get, you might as well use to your advantage. Well, that's what I like about doing this. The podcast is we're on the same team. That's right. So you're not messing with me. But you still interrupt so me. So my question for you is because I'm pretty sure you have a you have a— a graduate degree, right? You have an MFA in creative writing or nonfiction uh, or in journalism? Yeah, it was called in writing, yeah. Yep. An MFA in writing. Okay, I do not have a graduate degree. I was thrown out of graduate school. But the question this guy asks is, there's a lot of pressure to get a graduate degree from his parents. How does he explain to his parents that a graduate degree is not the a signifier of success that they think it is? Well, this is in keeping with your argument that college is a joke and that nobody should go, which but, I dis- which I think is a, a, a way too broad, um, you know, way of looking at things. Right. Um, so let's say it's too broad. I will for for the first time in my life, I will concede the point just to get to this question. Sure. But um, so you want to engage me in helping this guy tell his parents why they shouldn't push him to get a graduate degree. Right, and I'll give a few— What's he, what's he, what's he studying? What do they want him to—is it dentistry? Is he, it what? He doesn't say. Yeah. So, but let's assume, um, you know, the highest— Who high, is this he? Is he from Quora? Is he from— On Quora. Okay. This is a question on Quora. So this Quora. wasn't a question to you directly. Right, James, right. help me out. Right. right, this is a question on Quora, and— And he uh, says, help he said, me persuade my parents that I shouldn't go to graduate school? Basically, yes. And uh, as let's assume— um, he wanted some kind of science degree because yeah, it's, yeah. it's the STEM stuff that, you know, science, I don't even know what STEM stands for. Science, science technology, technology, engineering, and uh, math. I don't know. But but not only are those the highest paid graduate degrees, and this is part of my argument against college, actually, you actually have to get graduate degrees in those things to get a so job. So you feel like that's a racket? Like if you just get a degree in like technology, like an undergraduate degree, you're yeah, think you might you as well under- sign up for the unemployment yeah, I line. I think if you get an undergrad degree in a good engineering or geology, you can go out there and, and do really well, especially with um oil and gas and fracking. And I was in Midland, Texas recently. You ever been to Midland, Texas? You know that oil has caved in fifty percent over the past year. Yeah, right? but here was the most amazing thing about being in Midland. So I've been in a lot of different oil places over the fifteen last fifteen years or so, ten years that I've traveled a lot. And in most cases, you can kind of tell what the price of oil is by the mood in the airport when you get off it, when you're in a place that's a real industry town, right. Calgary, whatever. Kind of like Las Vegas. You could sort of tell how Las Vegas is doing depending on how many taxis are empty and things mm. like that. 
And the weirdest thing is, so I was in Midland. Um, the price of oil was on that day, I'm guessing, 43, 44 bucks a barrel, which was down from, you know, whatever. What did yeah. it hit, 110? Yeah, what it hit, whatever it got to be. And I was expecting, you know, and, and it's a real, it's an industry town, and people move there. In fact, the famous stories about Midland are that when the male uh, oil company, energy company executives would get assigned to move there and they'd want to bring their wives uh, to check it out and to look for a house. They would always fly in at night so the wives couldn't see how ugly it was. So uh. they'd refuse to move and it would be too late by the time that they, um, you know, kind of committed to it because it's not a pretty place at all. Think, it's think, flat and Think brown. of all the strategies people think of in advance. Like someone thought, someone was the first person to think of that strategy and then spread it to all his friends. Listen, buddies, don't only fly in with your wife at night. And, and not only that, started doing it. Not only that, they had to get a night flight to this relative, that somebody had to institute the night flight because I'm right. guessing that wasn't the, the status quo. But anyway, so when I went to Midland recently, I was expecting everybody to just have their head in their hands saying, oh, my God, it's, you know, it's gone south and everything's, um, you know, going sideways and our, our businesses and our families are in trouble. And it was not that at all. And the reason is, is because when you live in a place like that and you're in an industry like that and you've been through so many cycles, you know that there's cycles. And they were very sanguine about it. And how recently was that? This was fall of 2015. I okay, mean, so I'm heavily involved in some oil investments. And what's happened in that area specifically is that, and the EIA is not, so the EIA, the Energy Information. EIA, EIA is quasi-governmental, right? Right, right. So they collect numbers of how many, uh, you know, drilling rigs are in operation, how many wells are in operation, but that data is often six months to two years out of date. So all of those numbers that traders trade off of is heavily out of date. So when, when you, you get actually, good data... When you, you, the only way to get good data is to actually go to the place or talk to people who are there, and they will tell you all the oil wells like are a, shut down. That sounds like a huge arbitrage opportunity for yes. somebody. So why is so, I can't so, imagine that nobody's gathering that data, though. No, no. Uh, well, oil people will tell you right now that whole area is shut down. Mm. There's no oil wells going, but they're very happy because that means they're essentially forcing the price of oil back up. At some point, the United States has to pump oil. Look, it's very easy to look at this whole situation and say that Saudi Arabia played it and us really well, right? Yeah. But they decided to not uh, cut production in order to rescue price and instead, you know, force out the, the bottom and it's working, right? I, I think so. I think also there's a little bit of anticipation, correctly or incorrectly, that you know, this country, not tomorrow or next month or next year, but this country is heading towards uh, all electric cars. You know, as the price of batteries get cheaper and as Teslas and, and other competitors get more sophisticated, transportation is 46% of the use of oil. So if, if all your cars are electric... That's going to hit oil prices. All right. So anyway, let's get back to the question. This yes. was a guy who wants ammunition to talk his parents out of pushing him to go to graduate school. Right. So I think I'm the wrong guy for that. Even though, look, I'm on both sides of this argument. Here's my position. If you, whoever I'm talking to, are doing something that you have, I don't really like the word passion because that's gotten to be so like devalued somehow. But if you're doing something that you bust your ass on, right? And you feel that the opportunity cost of graduate school, not only the financial costs, but the temporal cost and the mental cost, those are all the opportunity costs. If you feel that those are much more expensive than the opportunity provided by what you're doing. So in other words, this is the way I would make this decision. I would say, okay, 
Going to graduate school means what? It means, let's say, two years. It means X thousand dollars. And it means the inability to do these other things that I would be doing during this time. And really try to calculate that. I find that almost no real person I've ever met, other than a lot of the economists I hang out with, have ever done actual cost-benefit analyses on opportunity cost. In other words, choice A versus choice B, maybe versus choice C. I find that colleges do studies on this, but they're so biased that you can't trust them. Like, they have selection bias because, you know, the only real test is you take 1,000 people accepted to, say, Harvard, and you tell 500 random of them you could never, ever go to graduate school, and these 500 will. And then you later see who made more money. Mm. Uh, because then you'll really test opportunity cost among equally, you know, intelligent and capable yeah. people. We'll dig even deeper into this question of the day right after this. Building a website can be tough. And even if you do know your way around coding, which I do not, creating something that looks good and works well is a time-consuming affair, whether it's for a business site, a portfolio, a restaurant, whatever else. In this day and age, you probably need a good website anyway. Well, lucky for us, Squarespace makes it easy to build beautiful websites without breaking a sweat. Squarespace provides simple, powerful, and beautiful websites that look professionally designed regardless of skill level, no coding required. Not only does Squarespace provide you with intuitive and easy-to-use tools to create your website, Squarespace also has state-of-the-art technology powering your site to ensure security and stability. And you know you can trust in Squarespace for your website needs when millions of people and some of the most respected brands in the world Trust them too. Seriously, you cannot beat the ease and simplicity of Squarespace. Squarespace gives you 24-7 online support and a beautiful website. So what are you waiting for? Start a trial with no credit card required and start building your website today. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure to use the offer code QUESTION to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for this podcast, Question of the Day. We thank Squarespace for the support of Question of the Day. Squarespace, build it beautiful. I think one thing to be said is that, you know, doing that analysis, the person could simply say, listen, let me take a year where I'm going to get job experience because graduate school doesn't teach you anything that you're going to use on the job. It kind of teaches you a method of thinking, but it, like I, I went to graduate school for computer science, and of course I was thrown out. But then when I took a junior programming job, my programming skills were so poor they had to send me to like a remedial school <laughs> in programming. And that's after getting an undergraduate degree and going two years to graduate school, doing computer programming almost every day. So you know, the skills in graduate school are not mm. quite the skills in the real world. But I have a question for you related to this. Wait, can I give one more? I want to say one more thing about this person's dilemma. Maybe it's not quite a dilemma. So I think there's one other way to think about college generally that most people don't talk about very much. And I'm not saying I'm right on this, but this is an issue that I feel people, it, it would be worth people thinking about, especially if you're the kind of person who's really thinking like, I am ambitious and I want to accomplish things. I want to make money. I want to maybe start a business, et cetera. And it's a real question whether college is my route to that. So here's one. There's a set of things that I think colleges, university life, and uh, and all that that implies does that we don't really consider. So we think of it, about it primarily as kind of knowledge and skill acquisition, which is, you know, legitimate. 
But I think there's another big part of it. And I think this is why there's such a fascination with people who do really, really, really well who drop out of college. One thing that I think going to college does is it helps you learn a set of social norms, i.e. what do other people do and think and what is acceptable to do and think, right? It helps you kind of have a common taste. You get surrounded with a whole bunch of people who think that X is very important to know about or to care about and Y is not so important to care about. And then additionally, there is maybe that knowledge and skill acquisition. That is what a lot of people might want in the world. They want to be kind of part of the educated mainstream. Maybe it's the elite mainstream, maybe it's not. But then there are other people who want to be much more individualistic. They don't really care about feeling a part of that continuum or community or having those social norms. Or having the validation of that piece of paper at the end of four hard years. I agree. I, I think that's a part of it. So I don't think it is a slam dunk pro or con. I think, but I what I do think is that it would behoove every potential student and parent of every potential student to make a long list uh, that includes the opportunity cost and it includes the benefits of college. And I just would argue that a lot of the benefits of college are non-obvious And a lot of the benefits of not going to college are also non-obvious. And the harder you work to actually tote them up, including the time that you would not be spending, but also then you have to subtract the, whether it's networking or social norming that you you learn, if you think that's a benefit. Now, some people would say learning a bunch of social norms of American college students is actually a detriment. And also, I'm not sure, for instance, how how old are you? Mm. I just turned 52, so I'm okay. finally playing with a full deck, as I like to think. <laughs> so I'm 47, so you're five years older than me. So Man, you were, I could have beat you up when so, we so were you, little. So you and I never would have gone to college together. College is like the last time uh, in your life you only are around people your age. So it's not a very realistic version of the quote-unquote real world. Like, you never oh, again— I, I don't think anybody's making the argument that college is anything like the real world. I think it is un, as unlike well, the real world this guy's world as, parents— let's say, are making that argument, that it sort of resembles the successful real world, even well, though no, it's completely I, well, different. That's what I'm saying. I think you learn to carry yourself and think in a way that feeds into what we think of as mainstream success. I totally, yes. I totally think. But, you know, let me say something about the idea of spending time with people your age. This is one of the most compelling arguments that I've heard for homeschooling Right, so I've had friends over the years um, and enemies. You know, I, I've known a lot of people who've homeschooled their kids for various reasons. Some are religious, some are educational. Some what kind are, of enemies do you have? Uh, long <laughs> sounds list, like a superhero. Long list kind of enemies, of like the Joker lives <laughs> yeah, around the corner and most, ha- is homeschooling his kids. Well, there's him. And there's <laughs> others. Um, but one of the most interesting arguments in favor of homeschooling that I've heard was that this guy who was homeschooling his kids said. I really don't like the idea that I'm raising these children who spend all their time around just other children and come to think of adults as only these kind of distant or authority figures who are, you know, managing stuff but are not to be interacted with on a kind of peer-to-peer basis. Sort of like the Charlie Brown, like, they, they never have the parents. Wah, 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 yeah, wah, right, yeah. But, you know, here's a completely different look on the answer to the question. Why does this guy have to answer his parents at all? Well, so he's an adult, maybe right? They're, he's, maybe he, they're paying. But he's tw- but he's 22 years old, and, and many graduate schools in the sciences offer scholarships because you become a TA and so on. In fact, all of them do, pretty much. So 
Why does he feel obligated? At what point are you no longer owned by your parents? No, it's and, not about owning. I mean, look, depending on what tradition you come from, and I would argue the majority of the world's people come from a tradition, religious or religious-ish, where, you know, honoring and obeying your parents to some degree is, you know, part of what it means to be in a family. Sure, sure. so that's a tradition. So how much you buy into that weighs into his answer. But I would just say, just do what you want. They'll see the results. If you're a success, they'll be happy with it. Right, and that's your answer, and it's good and legit, and that's based on your whole gestalt and everything that you come from and believe my, to be true. My parents don't talk to me, by the way. Well, so. <laughs> I, mine don't either, um, but that's because they're dead. Um, and my parents, so I'll tell you, when I was in college, like in my sophomore year, I was ready to quit. Maybe it's my junior year because I was playing in this rock and roll band and we were starting to do well and I knew that was going to be my career. That's what we were going to do. We were going to be a big, successful rock and roll band. So why did I need to finish college? And my mother said, you know, I want to encourage you in the strongest terms possible to not quit college. Because uh, that's from her generation. Well, but it was interesting. Well, she didn't go to college. She didn't complete college. She was, uh, I mean, she went to some nursing school. She was kind of immigrant family, yada, yada. But um, but she said, but here's what she said. She said, you really should finish college because someday you may want to go to graduate school. And I <laughs> laughed at her. I said, are you kidding me, mom? Go to graduate school. I don't even want to go to college now. And she said, you're an adult. I can't force you. But I would encourage you in the strongest way possible to finish. And I thought about so, it. So that was very wise for you to well, as keep options open. Well, as it turns out, I finished college. I played with the band. We got a record deal. We started making our record. And then lo and behold, I decided I did not want to try to be a rock star anymore. And what did I do? I enrolled in graduate school. And I had to call my mom and say, Mom, I owe you a big one. So even though I had the ability and the latitude to make the decision on myself and for myself and I was an adult... In that case, you know, as a young adult, I'm really grateful in retrospect that my mother uh, put her hand on my back and kind of shoved me down that road. So I would just say to this kid, you know, there's no right answer, but it's very easy to assume when you're young that you know the outcome that you're working toward, and life is a lot harder than that to figure out. We'll share a clip from our next episode right after this. Hey, don't forget, we're doing a live question of the day event on Thursday, January 14th in Brooklyn, New York at the Bell House. For tickets, you can go to thebellhouseny.com. We will be joined by an awesome special guest, a comedian and commentator and general smart person, Nagin Farsad. You should check her out online if you don't know her work. Nagin Farsad, it's spelled N-E-G-I-N-F-A-R-S-A-D. We are thrilled she'll be joining us, and we hope you'll be joining us too. You never know how the conversation might go on Question of the Day, but here's a taste of what the next episode will sound like. You mentioned that sleep hygiene is very important to you. Yep. Very important to me. Yep. To be honest, I haven't been getting enough sleep lately, so I'm going to ask the question... In general, how does one become more of a morning person and what what do you mean by sleep hygiene?